We have an introduction to the Jim Mars interview. This was done in, gosh, the spring of 2005. Jim has been a frequent guest on weird radio programs going back to the introduction to Rule by Secrecy in 2001, which was my first interview uh, that July prior to 9-11. Uh, so um, this interview just kind of, I, I forgot to hit start on the tape for the 2005 interview that I'm introducing right now. So uh, this interview just kind of jumps right into progress. Uh, so it's kind of an editor note here uh, on that. But uh, the late, great Jim Mars, uh, got sorely, sorely missed and a good friend. Uh, we often called him Uncle Jim on weird radio programs. Uh, Jim Mars in progress. Glass uh, office building, which just happened to uh, house the Mayor Giuliani's uh, a concrete reinforced uh, command center, which he never went to, and also some uh, other government offices, including the Security and Exchange Commission. And guess what got destroyed uh, uh, in the collapse of that building? Oh, might that have been all of the Enron paperwork? That's right. I'm oh, sure that was just coincidence, you know. But the key, but I can't stress enough that people need to really take a hard look at Building 7 because it was not struck by any airplanes. Uh, there were no outstanding fires. They had a few desultory fires on the uh, 7th, 8th, 10th floor, something like that. And then at 525, it just collapsed down onto its own foundation, just dropped in a matter of seconds. Um, and then you have to go back and listen to what the building owner, uh, in fact, uh, the owner of the World Trade Center, complex, or at least the leaseholder, uh, Larry Silverstein, and what he said on PBS, he said uh, there'd been so much loss of life, so he told the firemen to pull it, and we and they we stood there while they pulled it, and then the building collapsed. Well, that sounds like a controlled demolition. In fact, let's, let's quickly, let me remind you of real recent news. <clears throat> Over the weekend, there was a huge fire in Madrid, Spain, 37-story office building. It burned for more than two days, gutted the entire building, temperatures in excess of 1,000 degrees, and yet that building did not collapse. Right, right. So, so again, uh, why did Building 7 go down when it wasn't, struck, it wasn't struck by a plane? That's right. It was pulled. It was a controlled demolition. Well, if Building 7 of the World Trade Center was brought down by demolition, as was Building 6 uh, 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 days later, then, you know, maybe it's not so far-fetched to, uh, to imagine that the Trade Center towers were brought down by controlled demolition, just like for uh, New York firemen, just like uh, a lot of the witnesses have stated. They said they heard explosions, plural, boom, bam, boom, boom. One of the most compelling accounts I read was in Chief Engineer Magazine about uh, one of the building maintenance uh, people, one of the building engineers, I should say, and uh, he and a co-worker were at the, the sixth level below ground level. They were six levels down below ground when they felt the building shake. That was probably the main hit in the building. And then they were knocked to the ground by other explosions, and when they made their way to the third sub-ground uh, level to a machine shop, they said it was just totally wrecked. It was just demolished. Well, you know, this was before the building collapsed and the planes hit up about the 100th floor or something. What, what destroyed 
the machine shop on the and, and the parking garage below ground level before the building collapsed. See, these are good questions, Jim, and and this is what your book has has done with the um, uh, inside job unmasking the 9/11 conspiracy. Uh, you were almost touching on this whole buildup of this this event that happened in 2001 with your previous book, Rule by Secrecy, which is exposing all of these big, gigantic, monolithic uh, organizations and corporations that are really um, controlling us, as as you alluded to in the last chapter of Alien Agenda. Who is your leader, or who who's who, take me who's to your leader? Charge? Yeah, <laughs> who's really running things? Well, let me give you this tidbit of information. I'm sure if you read Rule by Secrecy, then you'll know that the grandfather of what I call the modern secret societies, the one that has certainly dominated our foreign policy for the last 50 or 70 years, and uh, the one that spun off the Trilateral Commission and others, is the Council on Foreign Relations. The chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations today is a fellow by the name of Peter J. Peterson. Um, Peter J. Peterson also happens to be the CEO of the Blackstone Group, which happens to be one of the co-mortgage lenders for the World Trade Center, which means that Larry Silverstein, the leaseholder, will share with Blackstone in the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are going to be paid out for the insurance for the World Trade Center. I might also point out that in early 2001, Larry Silverstein was about to finalize the sale of the entire World Trade Center complex. It was going to be one of the biggest uh, property sales in U.S. history, but it fell through because they found out and realized that those towers were filled with asbestos because they were built back in the 70s, mm -hmm. and it was going to cost untold millions of dollars to renovate those buildings, which made them undesirable and basically a white elephant. Uh, so, you know, I would simply pose the question, <laughs> what does the mafia do if they have a building that's a white elephant and they can't sell it and they can't afford to tear it down? Well, we know what they do. They burn it. They burn it for the insurance. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so I think there's so many things that need serious looking at, and, of course, none of this has happened. To begin with, the, the World Trade Center site was prematurely cleansed of all evidence, well, by, again, not by the New York Fire Department or the, the New York Police Department, but by the Federal Emergency Management FEMA, Administration, FEMA. Now, a now, government agency. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, a lot of people speculate that their real um, agenda is... Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of wild. There's a lot of different things you hear about. Well, well who's in, who, who does FEMA answer to? They answer directly to the President of the United States. So that would have been George W. Bush. Uh, who was one of who put George W. Bush into the uh, oil business back in the '70s down there in Houston with uh, or Busto Energy? That was done through the money of Salim Bin Laden. Mm -hmm. Osama bin Laden's older brother. Yeah. So you've got the Bushes who are real tight with the Saudis and the bin Laden family in particular uh, in charge of FEMA who then destroys all the evidence at the World Trade Center. Now, uh, Jim, there's uh, it, it, being that the FEMA has destroyed the evidence the way they did, where in our recent history have we seen them do something like this similar? Well, we actually, I could point to several events. I guess one of the biggest ones that everybody knows about is uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor wow. in December the 7th, 1941, which we've all been told is this 
dastardly sneak attack by Japan, and there's no question that the Japanese uh, military forces attacked Pearl Harbor, but uh, what we now know and is pretty undisputable uh, among serious students of history is there's so much information that has now come out that Roosevelt and George Marshall, his chief of staff, and several other highly placed people in Washington knew exactly when Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked, okay? Uh, and I know this personally because I personally interviewed the son of a Dutch submarine commander who said his father tracked the Japanese fleet until he knew it was on the course to Pearl Harbor, radioed his headquarters in Malaysia, or rather Indonesia, and that they notified Washington that Pearl Harbor was about to be attacked. And yet, on the day of the attack, nobody notified Pearl Harbor, and uh, all our battleships were just sitting in a row, and all the airplanes were bunched together in the middle of the airfields, supposedly to protect against sabotage, but it made them sitting ducks during the attack. And secondly, where else we have seen this in more recent years, in the 90s, Jim, where FEMA or the, the, the cover-up or demolition even of the building, uh, I'm reminded of what? What, the Oklahoma City bombing? Oklahoma City bombing, of course. Right, Again. and who prematurely cleared all the evidence away from the Oklahoma City bombing? A, uh, an outfit called Control Demolitions, Inc. And would you believe it? It was Control Demolitions, Inc. that went to New York and cleared away all the World Trade Center rubble mm -hmm. and shipped it overseas and shipped it away before anybody of any real authority uh, or even just armchair researchers had a chance to study it, okay? There is a minor tiff going on that you're not going to read about in the corporate control media. Uh, a fellow by the name of Ryan worked for United Laboratories, and a letter he wrote to the head of the National uh, Safety and Standards uh, Administration said, I don't understand how that steel could have melted in the World Trade Center because we certified it to be able to withstand those temperatures and for raising that issue and for pointing out that you know they sh it should have held up uh, was he complimented and praised no he was fired right. for bringing so, it up exactly and of course with the less said about the Warren Commission I mean the 9-11 Commission the better because it was a just a total whitewash uh, I've even read pieces by people who were absolutely ready to listen to their explanation of how 9-11 happened and, and were totally open to any explanation that made sense that, that they put forth, and they were disgusted, too, because for one example, just one example, uh, well, two examples. <laughs> Number one, the 9-11 Commission, just like the Warren Commission, uh, their sins were not so much commission as it was omission. In other words, the things, most of the things they told us were probably true, but they left out so much. They did not address some of the basic issues that particularly the 9-11 uh, families groups wanted answered. And number two, the Air Force gave one time frame, time chronology of the events of the morning of 9-11, while the FAA gave a conflicting chronology. So what did the 9-11 commission do? Did they try to reconcile those differences? No, they gave us yet a third <laughs> version of the chronology. Well, you know, uh, and my, my point is, is that how can we possibly know what's really happening to us today if we don't even know 
what happened to us just four short years ago. That's that's a good point to, to that's worthy to be noted, Jim. Um, you know, going back to the Pearl Harbor you were discussing earlier, I believe it was a few years ago that the Northwoods document was declassified, and um, this was right. right around 9/11. No, what's the timeline the on that? Northwoods documents um, were put placed into the National Archives back uh, about 1992 or three, but. Nobody paid any attention. Nobody knew they were there until uh, in the late 90s when a fellow named Banford published a book and, and uh, mentioned these Northwood documents because he had found them in the National Archives. And uh, let me, let's me let talk about that for a half minute because I think that is one of the most ironical things going on. Yes, let's set up for the listeners here at Weird Radio uh, what the Northwoods document is because this is kind of a tyrannical government gone crazy, but uh, I'll let Jim tell you guys about the Northwoods document. Yeah, in fact, I'm holding the, the Northwoods documents in my hand right now, and uh, this basically was a plan uh, to set off bombs in American cities, hijack airliners, hijack ships on the high seas, even target individuals for assassination by our people, and then blame it on Fidel Castro. And the whole idea was because after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, President Kennedy, who was president at the time, took the secret war against Castro away from the CIA and turned it over to the Pentagon. And the Pentagon put their best and brightest on it, and they decided that nothing we could do was going to work unless we had the full support and outrage of the American public. So they came up with Northwoods. This was in March of 1962, okay? Now, what's ironic about it is, is that several, one, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, instead of saying, well, this is crazy, they signed off on it. They approved it. This was going to happen. The person that blocked it and stopped it was President John F. Kennedy. He said, this is ridiculous. You know, this is not what the United States is all about. And we don't operate this way. So he ordered uh, the Northwood documents not only stopped, but he ordered them, all the documents destroyed. And uh, But obviously one set of these plans were not destroyed and ended up in some government file somewhere and where they were found in the early 1990s, as I mentioned. And the irony is, is that they were found by the Assassination Records Review Board which was created by Congress in the wake of the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, to look into any documents that could be found in government files that might pertain to the Kennedy assassination. Amazing. Is that just amazing? Now, but it gets better. I'm going to read you one portion of these documents because I think it gave us an early uh, prototype for a plan that was carried out on September the 11th, 2001. Here's their plan. An aircraft at Eglin Air Force Base would be painted and numbered as an exact duplicate for a civil registered aircraft belonging to a CIA proprietary organization in the Miami area. At a designated time, the duplicate would be substituted for the actual civil aircraft and would be loaded with selected passengers, all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The actual registered aircraft would be converted to a drone drone, of course, being a, a pilotless 
aircraft that's flown by remote control. Takeoff times of the drone aircraft and the actual aircraft would be scheduled to allow a rendezvous south of Florida. From the rendezvous point, the passenger carrying aircraft would descend to minimum altitude, which means it goes under radar, and go directly into an auxiliary field at Eglin Air Force Base where arrangements will be made to evacuate the passengers and return the aircraft to its original status. The drone aircraft, meanwhile, would continue to fly the filed flight plan. When over Cuba, the drone would begin transmitting on the international distress frequency a mayday message stating he is under attack by Cuban MiG aircraft. The transmission will be interrupted by destruction of the aircraft, which will be triggered by radio signal. So in other words, planes switched, passengers with carefully prepared aliases, uh, switching uh, drone craft for a, for a passenger craft, and then exploding over the Gulf or on 9-11, crashing into buildings. This was a plan that was formatted and formulated by the Pentagon back in 1962. Why are they doing that? Why, why, why would they? Why would our government come up with this, uh, uh, okay, Jim? I mean, why. give me, give us and the listeners some reasons as to why that, that to explain to, to the rational Amer- thinking American doesn't doesn't believe this stuff. I know, and I don't blame them. It's almost unbelievable, except it's happened. Here's the explanation. Back in the first Bush administration, about 1992, the uh, Secretary of Defense was Dick Cheney. And Dick Cheney issued a defense guidance policy paper which called for a increased military buildup in the Middle East to gain control of the oil resources there, an invasion of Afghanistan, and a regime change in Iraq. And everybody at the time thought he was just some off-the-beam hawk. And, of course, then uh, the Clinton era came in, and everybody kind of forgot about that, except for Dick Cheney and his fellow neocons. And in September of 2000, Dick Cheney, Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, all of the Bush administration neocons were members of something called the Project for a New American Century. That's right, PNAC. PNAC. And they, in September 2001, they issued a report titled Rebuilding America's Defenses, Strategies, Forces, and Resources for a New Century. And what it, they simply echoed Cheney's desires. They said, we got to have a military buildup in the Middle East, gain control over the oil resources, we got to invade Afghanistan, get pipeline going, and also get the poppy fields back into cultivation. Yeah, because there's and billions of dollars of, uh, billions. of, of, of and poppy fields. And they said we need a regime change in Iraq. But now, PNAC was a little more truthful about the whole thing because in September 2000, they pointed out that getting the American public to go along with this plan would probably be a very slow, hard process unless there was, and I'm quoting here, a catalyzing and catastrophic event like Pearl Harbor. So everything they wanted hinged on a catalyzing and catastrophic event like Pearl Harbor, and they got it on September the 11th, uh, about a year later. You know, and that's that's amazing. Um, all these people that worked for Daddy Bush uh, are, are now assisting our current president in that administration and in, in achieving right. these goals. Now, in, during that Clinton era, that that would was that that this 
that America joy, enjoyed great uh, economic boosts and so forth. Uh, there was a book written by Zygmunt Brzezinski called The Grand Chessboard, which ultimately um, uh, reveals some of the foreign policy decision-making that's going on in this country right now. Would you agree with that? That's, that's very true, and I think Brzezinski, I, I read that, uh, and I think that he too said that it would require a Pearl Harbor-like attack to, uh, to mobilize uh, American uh, uh, support for their program. So this is an agenda that they've been working at for years and years and years. Well, um, hey, Russell, even you and all those guys down there, how many of you all were actually native Texans? All of us are native Texans. Good. Okay, I am too. Born, raised, and worth. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now that's one. Now that's one of the things there that I have against George W. Bush. That guy is no more a Texan than than I'm a New Yorker. You know, <laughs> his family came from Kenny Bugport, Connecticut. Yeah. A bunch of damn Yankee carpetbaggers. Yeah, but he's worked good on that accent, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's polished it up. He's got it down better than Daddy. Well, listen, uh, Jim, hold tight right there. We're gonna turn gears and go into a more out-of-this-world conversation after the commercial break, Jim. All right. And uh, stay tight, hang tight right there. You're gonna, we're going to do more of this uh, weird program, and, and uh, we're going to have more Jim Mars uh, right here on KIRT 1580 and Weird Radio. Uh, we will be back after about a four-minute break. Stay, stay put, Jim. We'll be right back, and maybe we'll take some calls. Right. If, if folks dare call in, uh, 686-1580. If you have a serious question uh, for our guest, again, Jim Mars is a uh, New York Times bestseller. Um, the, the book Crossfire that he wrote on the Kennedy assassination was, again, folks, turned into the Oliver Stone basis for uh, the movie uh, JFK. So uh, Jim Mars is a very well-respected uh, uh, journalist. Uh, and a New York Times bestseller, and we are very honored to have him here on Weird Radio tonight. And uh, we'll take your calls and more coming up. Stay put, Jim. We'll be right back in about four minutes. All right. All right. This is Weird Radio. We'll be back in four minutes. Peace. Welcome back to the bottom of the second hour of the program. Again, my name's Russell. Uh, my co-host, Ramsey. Leo. How's it going? And, of course, our guest, Jim uh, Mars. Jim Mars is joining us here on our phone conversation here on Weird Radio. Again, uh, weirdradio.com is the website. Weird Magazine is the magazine. It's around town. All yep. over town. What else? All over town, all over other towns. It's, it's almost valley-wide. the valley. So, so pick it up if you see it. Read it if you got it. And uh, don't drop by Weird Magazine offices on uh, Six Empty Con. You'll see a, a Weird Magazine sign out that you can drop by, and chances are we'll be there. All right, there you go. Um, with that, let's uh, bring our our guests back on. Jim, uh, thanks for uh, patiently holding there. I'm here. All right. Uh -huh. there you go. All right. 
Russell's still getting a hang of these buttons, so. <laughs> Jim, it's, I know it's got to sound crazy for uh, a lot of the listeners tuning in, and, and we have a lot of fun on this show uh, with the musical guests that we have, and, and we'll venture even into having some, uh, some com- comedy on uh, uh, in the future, but, you know, we, at the same time, we just try to mix things up here at Weird Radio, but, but um, um, I just want to thank you for coming on, and, and, and people really have a hard time believing all this stuff, don't they, Jim? Well, that's true, and, and there's a reason for that, which is our non-existent so-called news media. Uh, they, the media just simply will not address some of the most pertinent issues. And I know on Weird Radio, you guys probably talk a lot about UFOs, and there's a classic example right there. People today, you don't see reports on UFOs in, the, in your newspaper or on your television stations and certainly not on the network news so most people just think well it's not happening and and when they do hear an occasional story it's like oh well some bumble farmer out in uh, uh, nowhere you know <laughs> you tell some story uh, the fact is is that UFO activity around the world including the United States is at an all-time high right now it's happening all around us it just doesn't get reported on and of course if you don't hear about something then as far as you know it never happens right exactly and and uh uh but it does happen i saw one ramsey days ago ramsey saw a ufo two three days ago right here on highway 83 coming into our offices in mccallan the other day well, hey, was it just a light in the sky, or could you no, actually see a structure? It was a, a silver sliver just hovering there, uh, right about about the Donna, Texas area. And I, I was coming through, uh, I guess, Expressway 83. There's a lot of construction and stuff going on, so I almost killed myself. But I saw it, <laughs> tried to take a picture, couldn't do it because I was driving in a construction zone, and who knows if anybody out there saw it. Give us a call. We yeah. might want to know that <laughs> more on that one. But you know, but uh, but I mean, I myself have we even witnessed UFOs in the in the past, and and you know, we've had people on um, the show in various capacities. Uh, I know Dr. Sala was on the the um, exopolitics.org uh, website of his. Right. And you know, Dr. Sala's work. He's very uh, adamant about the extraterrestrial contact and, and, and the extraterrestrial conspiracy, and I want to jump into that with you in the last 22 minutes. I've got you on the program here, but I wanted to ask you, I kind of wanted to t- throw in a little bit of the Brookings Institute, talk a little bit about the ET conspiracy, and then mention in the end of, at the end of the show here about Redgate, because we're going to have your friend on in, um, you uh, bet. we're going to have her on in uh, 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 April. Well, hey, uh, how about this one? Uh, you all have heard of the uh, mysterious crash retrievals, right, where the government rushes out and grabs up anything having to do with the UFO and calls it away and then says nothing happened, right? Right, right. Well, are you aware of...